So we're walking through different parts of the small catechism, which this little teaching booklet that Luther wrote is, is kind of a summary of God's word. It's like cliff notes to the Bible. He walks through the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the sacraments. So during Wednesday nights, we're going to be looking all through the Ten Commandments. Now, some people think that the Ten Commandments are kind of like a bunch of just thou shalt not, these downers that are designed to make us feel bad or keep us in line. And actually, that's not far from the truth, (laughs) but that's not the only thing that the commandments do. Uh, So, quick little review. First of all, who did God give the commandments to and through? God gave the commandments to the Israelites, and he gave them through Moses. Right. And where did Moses receive the Ten Commandments? On the top of Mount Sinai. And what had happened right before they had gotten to Mount Sinai? Where were these Israelites before that? What's that? Yes, they had been slaves in Egypt. Anybody remember how, how long? 400 years of slavery. Twice as long as our nation has been around. Uh, they had been slaves in Egypt. And God brought them out, you know, sent all these plagues, brought them through the Red Sea, brought the waters together over the pursuing army, provided for them through the wilderness, and brought them to Mount Sinai where he made them his people. He said, you are my chosen people. And he gave them these Ten Commandments to guide their lives. They had been slaves for 400 years, so... They didn't even know how to be human. And so he gave these commandments, not as this, you know, list of ways to spoil your fun, but as guidelines to shape their life with one another, to protect their relationships. So, as... Now, yeah... um, God didn't give the Ten Commandments to them and and say, now, do these things and then I'll love you. He'd already proved His love to them. He'd rescued them. He brought them out. He provided for them. And so he He starts the commandments by saying, I am the Lord your God. Not, I will be your God if you do these things. No, I already am your God. So therefore... This is how I want you to live your life. Martin Luther says there's really two proper uses of the law. Uh, all, these, all these commandments, uh, the Ten Commandments, and all the other things in the Bible that uh, confront us. He says there's really two proper uses. The first one is that it restrains evil. It keeps us in line. It, it helps protect our closest relationships, our spouse, our family, our friends, our neighbors, and our God. So, it, first of all, it restrains evil, and secondly, the law drives us to Christ. 
It, it's, it's like a mirror held up in front of us that shows us who we are uh, and how far we've fallen short of what God wants in our lives. Just like on Ash Wednesday last week, we talked about confession and what it is to examine your life in the mirror of the Ten Commandments. It shows up all of the ways that you've fallen short. Now, some people will say that there's a third use of the law, that it also shows us how to live a virtuous life. But Martin Luther pointed out that the problem with that is we are sinners, and so that doesn't really work. None of us follow the law to the T. None of us can earn God's love. It's a gift. It's something that comes to us as grace. So, when Luther looks at each one of the commandments, he looks not only at what does it say that we are not to do, but he also looks at what does it mean that we should do. So, you should have gotten one of these on the way in or brought yours from uh, from last week. Uh, take a look at it. We're going to open it up to page 6 in the front. The introduction is, I am the Lord your God. And the first commandment, say it with me, you shall have no other gods before me. Luther asks, what does this mean? It means... We should fear, love, and trust God above all things. Let's say that again. We should fear, love, and trust God above all things. To think through the first commandments, we first need to ask, what does it mean to have a God? That's where Luther begins in the catechism. In the large catechism, he goes into a little more detail and says, well, what is a God? He says, a God is that to which we look for all good and in which we find refuge in every time of need. To have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe him with our whole heart. As I've often said, the trust and faith of the heart alone make both God and an idol. That to which your heart clings and entrusts itself is, I say, really your God. John Calvin said that the human mind, the human heart, is an idol factory. Idolatry flows out of the heart. It's something, it's, it's when you pursue something and build your life around it. Whatever you put your hope and your trust in, that is your God. Today, money and possessions are probably our most common idols. We build so much of our lives around money. Just think about how much of your time is spent earning, spending, investing, or worrying about money. <laughs> probably most of your waking hours. Luther said, he who has money and property feels secure, happy, fearless, as if he were sitting in the midst of paradise. On the other hand, he who has nothing doubts and despairs as if he had never heard of God. This desire for wealth clings and cleaves to our nature all the way to the grave. 
Things haven't changed all that much in 500 years. This desire for wealth clings to us. And yet, you never see a moving van filled with stuff following a hearse, do you? (laughs) It's true, you can't take it with you. We're born with nothing. We leave with nothing. Everything that we have is a gift entrusted to our care for a short time. God wants us to live our lives in ways that show who we put our trust in. If you look at a, a dollar bill, you know, right on it, it says, in God we trust. But too often, we don't live that out. We tend to put our trust in ourselves. Do you remember what the very first temptation was? It wasn't just to eat some beautiful-looking fruit. It was to become like God. Ever since Eden, we have tried to be our own gods, deciding what is right and wrong for ourselves, turning away from our Creator, and following our desires, which only leads to death. God wants us to experience life. That's why he gave us the commandments. Not so we could try to win his favor. They simply show us how much we need him in our lives. God wants us to trust him for everything. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. And, Jesus said, a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, when our hearts are turned toward God, all the other commandments fall into place. It's like God is saying, whatever good thing you lack, look to me for it and seek seek it from me. And whenever you suffer misfortune and distress, come and cling to me. I am the one who will satisfy you and help you out of every need. Only let your heart cling to no one else. Luther said, To cling to God with all our heart is nothing else than to entrust ourselves to him completely. He wishes us to turn away from everything else and draw draw us to himself because he is the one eternal good. All of the other commandments flow out of the first, including the second commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So let's look at that also on page 6. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold guiltless those who take his name in vain. So Martin Luther asks, what does this mean? And he says, we should fear and love God so that we do not use his name superstitiously or to curse, swear, lie, or deceive, but call upon him in every need and worship him with prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. How important is your name to you? If you're like most people, Your name is deeply connected to who you are. 
It's how people identify you and address you. And you feel good when somebody knows you and calls you by name. It makes you feel honored that they've made the effort to remember who you are. What are some ways that we use people's names? Like if I was to say, Hey, Larry, what am I doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm hailing you. I'm, I'm getting your attention. <laughs> exactly. What, how else do we use people's names? Like when I was a kid, if I heard Kurt or Kurt Andrew Jensen, <laughs> it meant I was in trouble. <laughs> so sometimes we use you know, people's names to really get their attention or to uh, confront them about something. How else do we use people's names? Like if you type in someone's name into Google, what are you trying to do? You're trying to find more information about them. Or if you write their name on the front of an envelope and put it in the mail, what are you wanting it to do? You're sending a message to them using their name. Sometimes we name drop uh, we mention someone's name in a conversation to make the other person say, oh, they know so-and-so. Now, what happens if we mention someone's name and then do something kind of deceitful? What do we do to that person's name? What's that? What? Sorry? Yeah, we're taking it in vain. Exactly. We are misusing it for our own purposes. We're, we're dragging their name through the mud instead of treating it with respect. So, if it's important for us to treat other people's names with respect, then shouldn't it be even more important that we treat the name of our Creator with respect. The Hebrew people regarded God's name as so holy that they would not even pronounce it when they were reading Scripture aloud. Whenever they came up to the word Yahweh in Scripture, uh, they would say, instead, they would say, the Lord. Uh, That's why... You know, because Yahweh was the the name that God spoke to Moses, uh, and it's it, it's kind of a mysterious word. Uh, it kind of is loosely translated as "I am who I am" or "I will be who I will be." That's why Jesus caused such a stir when he said, "Before Abraham was, I am." He was claiming God's name for himself. The Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus has been given the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. God wants us to use his name in ways that give him glory, that honor and please him. 
Yet just as there are few who trust in God with their whole heart, there are few who do not use God's name for their own purposes. Luther says we should not use God's name superstitiously or to curse, swear, lie, or deceive. And yet that is so often what we do. Sometimes we invoke God's name as if it was a magic word or a good luck charm. We say, oh, God. <laughs> like, we're hoping that just by saying his words, that won't happen. We're, on the other hand, some people use God's word, God's name like a dirty word. Jesus Christ! Or, God! More often, we just use it as kind of like a common fill word. I swear, every time somebody was chosen to be on uh, American Idol, was selected, the very first thing they said was, Oh my God! You know, or, you know, today, you know, people text that to each other and they use the shorthand, OMG. Anytime that we say that, we're basically using God's name as an exclamation point at the end of our sentence. Like some people use swear words for emphasis. When we use it that way, we're putting God's name on the same level as a curse. We're reducing God's name to filth. Sometimes when I teach about this uh, commandment in confirmation class, I'll bring in a pizza box and I'll say, what do you guys think is in here? I'm going to let you have some. And they're like, oh, is it a pizza? No, it's not a pizza. Is it a cookie shaped like a pizza? No, it's not a cookie shaped like a pizza. Is it? And they come up with all these different ideas of what could possibly be inside this pizza box. And I open it up and inside is a great big round flat dried out cow pie. <laughs> they were expecting something wonderful and they got something awful instead. <laughs> That's what we do to God's name when we misuse it, when we use it for our purposes instead of what He wants us to use it for. We treat God's name like filth. How would you like it if somebody started using your name as a curse word? Kurt! <laughs> uh, when it, we take God's name in vain when we swear or when we take an oath in God's name casually, or for exclamation, when we say, I swear to God, I'll never do that again. If we use God's name in that way uh, to back something up, we had better follow through on it. <laughs> Luther warns, it is a misuse of God's name if we call upon the Lord God in any way whatsoever to support falsehood or wrong of any kind. To lie or deceive in itself is a bad thing. It's even worse if we try to cover it up with God's name. God will not allow his name to be used that way. Deuteronomy warns us, the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. 
Luther sums up this commandment by saying, now you understand what it means to take God's name in vain. To repeat very briefly, it is either to, it is either simply to lie and assert under his name something that is not so, or to curse, swear, conjure, and in short, to practice wickedness of any sort with it. So, how does God want us to use his name? If we are not to use God's name for evil or lying, then instead we should use it for good and for the sake of the truth. God wants us to use his name to call on him in every moment of need. In Psalm 50, he says, Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. God wants us to call him. It's like a parent sending their child off to college for the first time and giving them a cell phone and saying, Use this to call me anytime. Not just when you want something or when you need something, but, or when you're, just when you're out of money, but for any reason at all. We can call on God just to let him know that we love him and to remind us how much he loves us. It'd be strange if you had an emergency and had a cell phone right in your pocket and yet never got it out to dial 911. And yet, that's so often what we do. We neglect to use God's name as he wants it to. It's, it's, he, he already provides everything that we need without our prayers, but he invites us to call on him, and he promises to answer us. Ask, and it shall be given Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. What an incredible privilege. What an amazing promise. God listens when we call his name. He answers our prayers. He doesn't just ignore us or blow us off. He wants us to pray to him, to call upon him. He also wants us to use his name to give him honor and praise and thanks. All these things give glory to God. That's what we mean when in the Lord's Prayer we pray, Hallowed be thy name. We're asking that God's name would be kept holy among us. Luther says that happens whenever God's word is taught clearly and purely. And we, as God's children, live holy lives according to it. We are called Christians, followers of Christ. Are we living out that name? We honor God's name when we teach God's word clearly and purely, when we cling to his name for comfort and hope, and when we call upon him in every need. May God grant us persistent faith to cling only to him, to call on his name in praise, prayer, and thanksgiving, and to bring everything to him in prayer. Amen.